Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder if we could turn over uh, to the book of Titus um, again. It's a long time since uh, we were in it before, but if we turn over to Titus chapter um, 3, we're going to read from the first um, verse of the chapter. Book of Titus, Epistle of Paul to Titus, uh, to the third chapter. And beginning at the first verse of the chapter. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also are sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid uh, foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, Antichicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey, diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for, necess for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me, salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. We're looking at the first two verses of that uh, chapter we've just read. And as we said over the uh, uh, last little while, some time now since we're in the book of Titus, but we have been looking at the uh, epistle of Paul to Titus here. Titus uh, was the minister in the church in Crete. He'd been sent there by the Apostle Paul to set things in order in the church. It was a new church. Uh, Crete was not a great place really to minister because uh, the people were known as uh, lazy and irresponsible and drunk. One of Crete's poets says, if you look at chapter 1, verse 12, that the people were always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, and something of the culture of the 
uh, town or the island had got into the church. It was, the, the church was young. The uh, people in it were not long saved. And they had to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the things that had been true of them before they were saved were still true of them after they were saved. So Paul wants uh, Tim or Titus here to set in order the things that are in the church in Crete. And we've looked at how practical this is. He has spoken to the elders, spoken to the um, young men, to the older women, to the younger women, to the slaves, and he's been uh, speaking to them about how they relate one to another. We are to love one another in the church of Christ, and up until now, really, it has been the relationships that people have in the church. But now when we come to chapter 3 and verse 1, I want you to see that he turns now to deal with the interactions of these people with the world, with the outside, not inside the church, but outside the church in the social sphere. And that's important too. It's not only that we are to love one another in the church, but we're to love our neighbor. We're to love those that are around about us. And there is a relationship with government. There's a relationship with society. And there is that relationship one with another that we have with the world around us. And that's important. And I want you to see that the Lord here is underlining the importance of that relationship. It's not just that when we're saved, we're on our way to heaven and we're only thinking about heavenly relationships, but our um, Christianity should make a difference. It should be seen practically in our relationships with those around us. And this is more than academic debate as well, because you'll know that down through the history of the church, there are times when... Um, those in the church have gone, as it were, to war. You think about the Covenanters or the Waldensians or the Hussites, uh, the Bohemian or Czech church at that time, and there have been um, wars that have taken place. So we need to know what is our relationship with society and with government and with those around us. And that's where this portion of Scripture comes in. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says to Titus, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And we just want to look then for a few minutes at the Christian's relationship with the world and society round about us. And the first thing then I want you to see as we look at this relationship with society and the world around us is the place that we are to take. Look again at verse 1 there. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. I want you to see the essence of the command there that Christians are to be in submission to the government, to the powers, the principalities there. Really, you're speaking about the king, the prime minister, the president, or whatever government it might be, right down to city government, local government, 
um, the local police force. We are to be subject to them. We are to obey the magistrate as much as lies within us. The word that is uh, translated obey there literally means to be persuaded by the ruler or to submit to their authority. And it says there to be, we're to be subject to principalities. And the word subject there is a very interesting one because it's a military term. Um, it, 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 it originally refers to drawing up the order of battle or to form up the troops. And it's a military term. So you think about the way that in the military, the um, troops are to obey uh, their leader, their commander. They're to be subject to the orders and they're to take them as orders. They're not to question them. They are to do what is said. And as citizens, then we, that's our first and primary duty as we face the government. We are to be good citizens. We are to be obedient to the laws of the land as much as lies within us. And Romans 13 verse 1 tells us really why. Because he says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So the powers that be, the government that we have, is ordained of God. It is expressed in the law and in the order that we have in our society. And so we are to be good citizens of the land in which we are citizens. But not only do I want you to see the essence of the command, but I want you to think about the endurance of the command. Because the word subject there, be subject, is in a present tense. Now, in the Greek, a present tense like that is a continuous tense. So this is not just a one-off when we think, think well, um, I, I can obey that law or that law or that ordinance or that order. I can obey that thing. That, that'll, that'll suit me. But um, when it comes to other things, I'll not. No, this is to be a habit of life. It's not just something that we do in a one-off or when it suits us. But he's speaking here about being a good sub, uh, subject as being the normal habit of what we do. It's, it's something that is to mark our day-by-day -day walk. It's something that continues throughout our life. But then I want you to think about the extent of the command. Now you say, well, what if the powers that be are pagan? Or if the powers that be are going to, are some kind of um, uh, idolaters or violent or aggressive? Are we still to be subject to them? Well, you need to remember that when Paul is writing to Titus here, the powers that be were the Romans. And many of the people in Crete wouldn't have wanted to be um, ruled over by the Romans. And the Romans were pagans. And the Romans were violent. And the, the, well, the Roman government was a, a lot better than many of the governments that had gone before them. But nevertheless, there was much wanting in the Roman government. But nevertheless, here were these people, and Paul is urging Titus to teach them, even though they mightn't have liked the Romans, and even though the Romans weren't uh, uh, exactly 
um, they often persecuted the people of God, they were to be subject to them. But then I want you to think about the exception to the command. Because does it mean then that no matter what a government says to you, uh, no matter what laws it imposes, that we have to obey those laws? Well, of course, we remember when Paul uh, and uh, uh, Silas were brought before the Sanhedrin. And you remember the apostles were commanded not to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. There's a limit to the obedience to government. If the government is going to uh, command us to do things that are contrary to what God says in his law, then we have to obey God rather than men. We have to stand up against those things. Uh, we are more to obey God than men. Way back in the time of the Stuart kings in Britain, they believed in the divine right of kings. In other words, the king, whatever the king said went, and there was no questioning of it. And it was Oliver Cromwell and the Puritans that um, curtailed the power of the king, that they just didn't have the right carte blanche to command whatever they wanted to command. There is a limit to what we obey. And the uh, thing that we obey first and foremost is the law of God. We are not to go and do unjust things. We're not to murder. We're not to kill the innocent, even though we're commanded by the law of the land. And there is that limit to the obedience that we have. So that's our relationship to the government. We see here the place we take we are to take the place of submission. But secondly, I want you to see the preparedness we show. Look again at verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates. And then he says, to be ready to every good work. There's the preparedness we show. We're to be ready to every good work. Now, this goes wider than than our relationship to government. This is our relationship to all around us. We are to be ready to every good work. And you see the work that we do. He speaks there about every good work. And the child of God is to be ready to do good works. We are to be ready to help others. We are to be ready to do what we can to um, support others and help them along the way of life. Now, we're not saved by good works. We know that by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we think of how it goes on, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, uh, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So while we're not saved by good works, we are saved unto good works. In other words, these good works are something that should mark the child of God. 
We are to be helpful to those around us. Now, what are the good works? What do we mean by good works? Well, Oswald Chambers said good works um, are the same as having one of the O's knocked out of good. They're God works. Uh, It's an expression of Christian character. It is uh, good doing, not good doing, but God-likeness. Really, that's what it is. And these works, good works, true good works, are those which honor the Son. They honor God. They are grace works, we might say. In other words, they're works done by the grace of God operating in our lives. And we can see then that those things are possible to those that are saved by the grace of God. And the Lord Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we are to let our good works be seen. We are to let them be shown. There was a story told about Dr. W.H. Houghton, who pastored the Calvary Baptist Church in New York. And he later served in the Moody um, Bible Institute. But um, when Dr. Houghton became the pastor of the Baptist Tabernacle in Atlanta, somebody uh, hired a private detective to follow him to see what kind of man and report on his conduct And after a few weeks, the detective was able to report that Dr. Houghton's life matched his preaching. And as a result of Houghton's faithful life, that man became a Christian. The Lord says, let people see your good works. Let them see what you are. And of course, good works really are summed up by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the epitome. He's the example of good works. It says in Matthew 22, verses 27 to 29, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now there's the challenge to us. Are we loving the Lord with all our hearts and souls and minds and strength? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Do they see in us the outworking of the grace of God that is in us? Paul uh, says uh, here, he says in uh, the verse 14, And let ours also learn to maintain good for works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. And we need to have that fruit around us. Why should we do good works? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism gives five reasons why we do good works. Because, first of all, the Holy Spirit is working in us to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we think of what it says in saying. Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in at last the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so it is part of what we are. We are being changed to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? He went about doing good. He went about healing the sick. He went about helping those that were round about him. But secondly, 
Why do we do good works? Not only because we're being made more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, who did good works, but out of a sense of gratitude. We think of what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, because of the mercies of God, because of what the Lord has done for us, we think of the mercy that God has bestowed upon us, and surely in gratitude to what the Lord has given us, we give to others. A third thing, reason why we do good works, is that God may be praised. We think of, it says in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. When we, as God's people, act as we should, then our Father in heaven is glorified. His name is exalted. And then it also assures us of a right standing before God. If we're showing forth the fruits of uh, being a Christian, if we're going, showing these things in our lives, th- that helps us to show that we have that right standing with God. And we do good, good in, that we might adorn the gospel, that it might be attractive to others, to outsiders, that others might see the Lord Jesus Christ in us. And we see the work that we are to do. We're to do good works. But look at the willingness we're to have. We're to be ready to do them. The word ready there means just prepared. There is a preparedness. We, we uh, are, as it were, straining at the least to do these good deeds. We are seeking in every way that we can to help others and to promote the Lord Jesus Christ by our good works. But you can see there the relationship with government and then the relationship with those around us. But there's one more thing that I want you to see. Not only is there the preparedness that we are to show, but look at the peaceableness we are to demonstrate. Look at verse 2 now. He says to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So here is how uh, Christians are to uh, behave uh, in their relationship with the friends, the workmates, colleagues, those that we come across day by day. And we think of how we are to be speak evil of no man. See how we communicate about others. We're not to speak evil. The word uh, evil, really, it's speaking harm. It is to defame. It's to reel at or slander, really. The the word there, if you translated it literally, no man continually malign. That's the sense of that speak evil of no man. No man continually malign. And clearly, no one, no man there refers to God, but it refers to, to those around us. We're to be careful about gossip. We're to be careful about slander. We, we are to be careful about what we say 
about others. And you can see the way that the Bible continually uh, underlines the danger of gossip and speaking about and giving evil reports about those that are round about us. The Bible constantly speaks about that. We think about the things that God hates in Proverbs 6 verse 19. And one of the six things he says, a false witness that speaketh lies and he that soweth discord among the brethren. In fact, there's two of the things uh, the six things. A false witness and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So we're to be very careful with our tongues. Not only do we see how we're to communicate with one another, but how we are to cooperate with others. The verse says, be no brawlers. Now, the word brawlers there, um, originally the, the um, root word of that is invincible or incapable of being conquered. Uh, it means really a non-fighter. And if we're non-fighters, then we are to be cooperative with those around us. We're to avoid strife. Believers are to be friendly. We are to be peaceful towards the lost and those around us. We are to be those that are gentle. And look at that word gentle. Not only are we to be cooperative, but we're to care for others. The word gentle there is a word that means really yielding. It means reasonable. It, me it means that we're not unduly rigorous with others. Uh, somebody has described the meaning of a sweet reasonableness. But we're thinking about our care for one another. We are to be gentle. We are to have the ability to extend kindly consideration to those around us. And then look at how we consider one another, showing all meekness unto all men. Now, the word meekness there is a word that is used in secular Greek writings of a soothing wind or a healing medicine. Uh, meekness sometimes is described as power under pressure. But it speaks there of that healing wind, that gentle wind that uh, blows. The hymn writer speaks of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It speaks of a meek and a lowly heart. And we're to have that meekness and gentleness towards others. So we are to be models of public goodness. We are to be those that... Uh, have a relationship to the outside world and to the government and to the friends and workmates that we're among of this gentleness and this love one for another and this care one for another. We are to be those that show forth good works. So we see what the Bible has to say about our relationship with those around us. We are to show forth the glories of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, may we in practicality show forth these wonderful uh, characteristics in our day-by-day -day life. Our lives are not just on the way to heaven, but thank God we have that uh, blessing of God's uh, grace and mercy upon us. And may the Lord help us to walk with him 
in these days. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace and prayer. And let's just remember the meetings as they come up. Uh, remember the meetings that have just taken place and pray that God uh, will bless the going forth of his word. And then for the meetings on the Lord's day, and do pray for the um, answers in Genesis meeting too, that many will come under the sound of the word of God and we might have an evangelistic tool that will be used to the extension of God's kingdom. But let's just uh, seek the face of the Lord tonight and let's look to him for his grace. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word tonight. We thank, Lord, of uh, Titus here and how he was to exhort the Christians to live as becometh uh, saints of God. And Lord, we pray that we might live as becometh saints of God. Help us, Lord, to be those that walk in lives that are glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ in our relationship to society, in our relationship to one another, in our relationship to those around us. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are glorifying to thee. May we be those that uh, will attract the world away from the things of sin. And Lord, may we be those that live lives that exalt and glorify the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless in this corner of thy vineyard. Bless the work and witness of God here. We pray that thou wast add to the church such as should be saved. Bless us now as we seek thy face. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. <clears throat>